one call, though, especially in regards to Brantley. And, uh, you know, for many of you who have been praying, uh, it has been some time. And uh, to see God at work in his life, drawing him to himself, very encouraging. And uh, let that be an encouragement to the rest of you who are also praying for a family member or friend. Who, who here has a family member or friend you'd love to see come to know Christ? Yeah. Guys, we've got to pray for each other. And let me just say this. God has given us a wonderful opportunity this week. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we, we talk about there's two times out of the year a lot of times folks will go to church. Just quite honestly, a lot of folks will not darken a door to a church except for Christmas, Easter. And um, I want Community Baptist Church to be used this week. And I, especially in regards to the message God has laid on my heart this week, where we're at in the text, uh, I believe this is a God-given message. Uh, His timing is perfect. And this message today should serve as a springboard for every single one of us to go this week, find that family member, that friend, that neighbor, that co-worker that God is impressing upon your heart and invite them. Invite them to come Sunday. Um, We have a, a, a breakfast, and please, every one of you, be here for the breakfast. Bring some extra food. Invite some folks to come. Uh, we've sent out, I uh, had Brittany this week send out uh, invites, personal invites to those. You remember our door-to-door contacts. Some of you should still be praying for those, uh, those names. This week, if you've retired your list, break it out of retirement. Start praying for those names because they would have received last week a personal invite to the breakfast and services. And so this is one of those opportunities for us to bathe this in prayer, that God would use that to draw them, and uh, maybe they will come and join us this week. And so I want you to be in much prayer, but I want you to put feet to those prayers by inviting a family. Uh, Maybe you're out at the grocery store and you you, you come across a family. Um, Maybe they're strangers. Invite them. It's amazing what God will do if you just simply open your mouth and and let Him use you as a vessel to encourage someone. You never know what's going on in their life, and even a simple invite may go a long ways. So let me just encourage you prior to today's message, and I trust that through today's message, God will continue to speak to our hearts about what we need to do. And um, So anyway, be in much prayer this week uh, about next uh, Sunday service. Don't forget the special time, 930 is when we will begin the breakfast. And then the worship service is at 10.30. So please note the special time. Uh, No, that doesn't mean my preaching will be shorter. (laughs) Uh, uh, But uh, anyways, we uh, enough of that, right? Hey, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. That's today's title. Let's go fishing. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. How many fishermen I got out in the crowd? Enjoy going fishing. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, this is, uh, this is one of those messages then that ought to speak to us for sure. Um, I like fishing. I don't, I don't get the opportunity to go. I think I may have gone twice in the past four years, um, which is sad because some of you guys got boats and I ain't been invited out on them yet. You know, I used to joke I was going to name a boat if I ever got it, visitation. So if somebody called, well, pastor's out on visitation. You've heard that one before. That's terrible, isn't it? 
Uh, but it is, it is within my uh, job description if I'm out there with you. Amen, Pastor Dean? <laughs> Anyways, um, look, it, it's, it's a wonderful time. I, I've taken my kids, like I said, a couple of times, and uh, I look forward to some more opportunities. Something about fishing, isn't it? Just kind of get out there and, and get away. I know for me growing up, uh, I used to love catfishing. Um, uh, you know, and I don't know, maybe... Um, uh, starting out and fishing, that was kind of a lazy man fishing way of doing it. You know, you just set the pole and just wait for it to bend. And I've got one. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of skill. Now, I did some bass fishing too, and that takes a lot more technique. Um, but, uh, but I enjoyed catfishing. In fact, I remember at age 11, that was probably up to that point, I had never caught a fish this big. And I remember being at Tuckertown Dam. And we used to go down there to Tuckertown Dam. Me and one of my neighbors, he would take several of the uh, young fellows there, and there would be a carload of us, and we'd go out. And uh, if you've done catfishing, you do catfishing late at night. At least we did. I mean, it would be 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes we'd be out there fishing on a Friday night. And I remember going down to Tuckertown Dam, and one of the things we'd have to do before we would fish is we'd get one of those big nets. Now, I'm finding out that um, there's a type of fish around here called shad, but where I was from, the shad were the little minnows that ran along the side of the, uh, the dam and along the bank side. Now, maybe they go down river and end up here and get bigger, but uh, where I'm from, shad were those little bitty minnows, if you will. And so we'd have to take this big net with all the weights on the outside of it, and you'd have to take that net and you'd have to cast it out there, hold on to that rope, let it sink down, sink down, sink down, and at the right time you'd pull and pull that net in and you would hope you'd have a bunch of shad. And that would be our bait, cut bait for um, off time. Well, we, we would catch some brim first sometimes too, use those as cut bait, but I remember the shad, you'd hook them just right and they would swim. And those catfish loved to get a hold of them. Man, that was a fun time. I enjoyed that. And I remember hooking a nine-pound catfish at age 11. 11-year-old, man, that's, you know, that thing, that was huge in my mind. I was so excited to get home that evening and show my parents this big fish because they had to hold him up under that lip. He was so big as an 11-year-old. Good times. Some of you, I know you've got fish stories, and some of your stories, team, fish gets bigger and bigger every time you tell it. We understand that. Uh, but today, we're going to see some professional fishermen. Now, some of you may deem yourself professional fishermen. Uh, I do not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I probably end up uh, more tangled up uh, with my line than I, I do fishing. But uh, anyways, don't let that keep you from inviting me. Luke chapter 5, we find Christ uh, proceeding in his ministry. And again, Luke tells us the story of some things up to this point that have, that have happened. You remember last week uh, when we, we touched on this in, in the end of chapter 4. Uh, Jesus had been in the synagogue and he cast out the demon. And then you remember he went over to Peter's house and he healed his mother-in-law who was sick with fever. And so these are some of the first couple of miracles that Luke records in his writing. And we're beginning to see uh, things take shape in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Today that story continues in chapter 5. Look if you would, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. I would encourage you to follow along. It's a lot easier to hear uh, the Spirit of God when we're seeing the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the Word of God. 
that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, give me clarity of thought. I pray that you empower me with the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, that I would simply be a vessel, a conduit of your grace. And I pray that your grace would go forth through the words preached today, through the power of your word. And Lord, that you might speak to hearts here today. And that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and be made much of. Lord, give you the praise. For we ask these things in the name of above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Here they are at the uh, Lake of Gennesaret, as that's also known as the Sea of Galilee. Uh, sometimes it's referred to in Scripture as the Sea of Tiberias. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, its name was Chenaroth. But this lake is about 13 miles long, it's about 7 miles wide, and it dominates the Galilee area. To the east is the sort of low ridges, and then the flat lands of the wilderness that go to the east to the north are the great high mountains of Lebanon from which the water flows that flows in and creates the lake. To the west are the fertile, marvelous, magnificent, fertile fields of grain and Crops and right on to the sea. On that Mediterranean Sea, on that are the major cities. Tiberias would be a major city in the time of Christ. On the western shore and the north would be the city of Capernaum. And so because you could be at the shore and the slope would be a place that would create sort of a natural amphitheater so that people could hear. Jesus' selection of this place um, is providential. And we read this story today, and, and I want to bring some clarification because, uh, again, sometimes 
we look at these passages in Scripture and we get a, a bit confused um, because oftentimes they don't write in chronological order and so sometimes it's hard to piece the things together. Keep in mind, this is probably the third time Jesus gives a call to Peter to follow him. He's already met Peter. He already knows Peter. Um, in, in fact, we know this uh, back in, in John 1. You'll find the account of Jesus calling him and uh, finding Andrew as well. You remember that story? Hey, could this be the Messiah? One of the initial calls. You'll find also in, in, in Mark 1.16, uh, again, where Peter is on the lake casting nets and again is called to follow. But you know, I, when I hear that and I read that, I think about this. How many times does, does Jesus call you and me to follow Him? Is it a one-time call? Is it a continual call? Is it a daily call? In fact, my guess is that even today, some of you who may know Christ, you may consider Christ master. I believe God's going to speak to you today to follow Him. Because that is something that we need to daily be reminded. You know, we look here in verse 1 of chapter 5, and, and there's some interesting things that we find Notice what he says. It was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, wait a minute. First off, we can deduct there's obviously a crowd, right? So he's already been teaching at some point. We know that his fame is beginning to spread because he's cast out demons. He's healed. And, and we learned this in the previous chapter that uh, the word about him is going out. People are hearing about it. So people are starting to flock to where he is. They want to see for themselves. They want to hear for, for themselves what's going on with this Jesus. And based upon this first verse, I can assume that he's already began teaching at some point in the morning and these people are beginning to follow and more crowds are coming to hear from him to the point that he finds himself at the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, and to the point that they're, they're, they're crowding in on him that is putting him into a place to where this multitude has, has gathered. And again, in his providence, he brings them to this place so that he can begin to teach, not just to the multitude, but specifically to some of his own disciples. Notice, what happens? By the way, here in this verse 1, he's saying here, and I want you to get this, they came to hear what? The Word of God. They were listening to the Word that comes from God is the best way to translate this. The Word that comes from God. This, this first verse already hints to the deity of Jesus Christ. They knew that He taught in authority. Remember, we learned this in the, in the last study we did. 
Not like the scribes. He spoke on authority. He didn't have to cite sources. He was the source. And so they know he has the word of God. They've gathered. There's a hint to the deity here, even in this first verse. And we didn't hit this last week in closing out, but I think it's very significant in the way in which Luke wrote it because he hit on the casting out of demons. He spoke on the healing of Simon Peter's mother, but he closed out that section in chapter 4. Look, now when it was day, he departed, verse 42 of chapter 4 of Luke. He departed to a deserted place and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Galilee. Jesus didn't come to heal, though that's what he did. Jesus didn't come to cast out demons, though He did that. His point and purpose was to preach, was to teach the good news. At the core of Jesus' ministry was preaching and teaching. Church, that is why Community Baptist Church, at the core of what we do, is preaching and teaching of God's Word. This is modeled after Jesus Christ Himself. Where else are we going to go to hear the words of life? Yeah, I could amass a crowd if, if, if we had a few you know, healers brought in and they did something that seemed miraculous. Oh, there's a lot of sideshows out there that cast out demons. And they mass some crowds, don't they? That's not the heart of the ministry. Was it the heart of Jesus' ministry? Revealing the truth. Preaching and teaching God's word. That's at the heart of who he is. He is the truth. Manifest, made, made alive, the living word. Notice verse 2 of chapter 5. He saw two boats standing by the lake. Now, uh, these, are, these are large boats. I don't know what you got in mind. This isn't one of those little you know, John boats. Um, it's not a canoe. <laughs> These were pretty large boats. They had to be. How do we know that? Well, again, uh, this was a professional business here. Peter ran. He was a professional fisherman. That's what he did. He had crews. Um, we also get some information from other texts. Mark chapter 4. You're going to uh, find all of the disciples in a boat. Remember when Jesus was sleeping? They were freaking out. Well, that tells you there had to be at least 13. I think there was probably more because there's probably a crew. So, you know, if it's going to pack in uh, 13 to 15 people, uh, it's a pretty large, pretty large boat. Um, Mark chapter 6, you find all the disciples in the boat plus Jesus. Again, at least 13 people, maybe a crew. You have another boat in, in Matthew. Chapter 8, verse 23, um, uh, which another account uh, that's in Mark 4, Matthew 8, again, it's indicating that, dis- that the disciples were in the boat. We know these were pretty large boats. Notice what happens. He sees these two boats, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Okay? So they're, they're outside of these boats and they're... They're kind of getting the nets cleaned up and getting these nets mended. 
They uh, no doubt had been fishing all night, which was the common practice there. Uh, by the way, um, when's probably the worst time, fishermen, uh, to go fishing, typically? Middle of the day, right? Hot, sunny, afternoon, middle of the day, sun bearing down. Yeah. Not too many people will get up and go fishing at that point of the day. Normally, you're going to hit it either early in the morning, late in the evening, or in this case, the fishing was done at night. Because what would happen is the fish would make their way in closer to the shore during the nighttime, and the fishermen knew that. And so when they would go out fishing, they would do their fishing at night and would spend the morning time up till around noon cleaning the nets, getting them mended, doing the work and the repairs, anything that needed to be done, so then they could take the rest of the afternoon off, come back for the night to start their fishing. That's how it typically worked. Keep that in mind. So here, Jesus sees these two boats. The fishermen were out washing their nets. Verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's which is a good thing. He knows Simon, right? He knows Simon Peter. He goes over, he gets into one of uh, Simon Peter's boats, and he asks him to put, put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, why did Jesus do this? Well, again, the crowd's pressing in on him. I mean, there's a multitude that is gathered. The name of Christ is being magnified in the area. People are coming from all around to hear this man, to see this man. What's he going to do next? You know, I heard this, I heard that. And so it's getting to the point that the, 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 the multitude is gathered and as was stated earlier, because of the sea, its location and the shores, it makes for a natural amphitheater. And by the way, water is a conduit of sound. It helps to carry sound very well. And so Jesus puts himself in a place where no doubt the multitudes could hear clearly his teaching. So he gets into Peter's boat and asks Peter to have them kind of cast off the shore just a little bit. So he sat down to teach. Remember what we learned last time. This is typically what rabbis did. They would assume a teaching position, which was typically sitting. So Jesus sits down, which again was customary. It was the proper etiquette in teaching. And he begins to teach from the boat. Notice what happens next. He sat down and he taught the multitudes from the, from the boat. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Now, I don't know how long Jesus sat in that boat. I don't know how long he sat down and, and, and taught to the multitudes. doesn't say. But they were there to hear the word of God. They knew that coming from his mouth was the word of God. He was teaching them the word of God. And when he had finished speaking, um, he was done. He no doubt turns to Peter and asks him, Peter, won't you do me a favor? Put out a little deeper into the water. Notice... What happens next? He says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay. 
Time out, Jesus. Peter's a professional fisherman. Okay? This is what he does for a living. Um, Jesus, as far as Peter knows, is a carpenter. All right? Yet, again, the understanding is you don't fish in the middle of the day. You fish at night. You don't fish out in the deep. You fish close to the shore. It's, it's funny, John MacArthur tells a story of a guy in his congregation took him out fishing one time, and this guy was supposedly one of the best uh, bass fishermen around. And this guy was a you know, professional, if you will. And so he took John out on his boat one time, and he said, I, you know, John, I'm going I'm to teach you how to catch fish. He said, now, he had all the gear on his boat, you know, the depth finder and the radars, sonars, and, you know, all those things, and just, just really geared up boat. And uh, he said, well, you know what? The fish are going to be over in that section of the lake. John tells the story of how, you know, he looks over at this certain part of the lake, and, you know, it's kind of a nice little shaded area, trees hanging over, and so he, they were bass fishing. And so the guy said, yeah, that, that's where the fish are going to be. He says, but I tell you what, before we go over there, John, I need to practice with you on casting and reeling so that you'll know how to catch these bass once we get over there. John tells the story that, he, you know, followed this professional uh, man's advice. And John says he cast out there into that other section, deep section. And he said, I began to reel in. He says, and all of a sudden, I got a hit. And he said, before I knew it, I had a bass on the other end of my line. He said, now, I reeled this thing in. And he said, it was like a nine and a half pound bass. Yeah, for those of you who understand this, and the guy, and John tells this story, it's pretty funny. He says, the man says to me, John, that's kind of like playing golf, getting a hole in one. <laughs> and, and, and so John kind of laughs. He says, look, he said, this guy may have been a professional fisherman, but he doesn't know how to catch fish, obviously. You know, John's sitting here catching fish in a section where this man knows that the, uh, where the fish are. No, I take that back. He says the man may know how to catch fish. He may not know where the fish are. Jesus knew where the fish were, did he not? Jesus knows where the fish are. And so he tells Peter, he says, hey, I want you to go out into the deep. I want you to drop down your nets for a catch. Now, again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. You can kind of understand why Peter's thinking, ah. Oh. Notice his response. But Simon answered and said to him, Master. Which, by the way, that word master right there, it means commander. Commander. Um, you know, I heard one preacher say one time that there's only one commander of a ship. And at least Peter is showing respect here because this is Peter's fleet. This is Peter's boat. And, and Peter is no doubt at least showing respect. Uh, after all, he just healed his mother-in-law, right? <laughs> the day before, probably. And uh, she got up and did some serious cooking. And I'm sure Peter liked his mother-in-law's cooking. Uh, some of you men can amen that or stay silent. Um, but he, he, you know, he answers and says to him, Master, we've toiled all night. And caught nothing. How many times do you offer an excuse? 
You know, sometimes God asks us to do something and we try to excuse it, don't we? But, well, what about, I don't know. Jesus gave Peter a command. And Peter at first makes an excuse. He kind of resists here. He tries to justify. He's, he's trying to, he says, look, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. I think he caught himself. And look, you know, don't be hard on Peter. We, we've all walked this road. We do this constantly, don't we? He caught himself. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Again, I, I think Peter's showing some respect here. He's showing respect to the commander, if you will. So, um, though reluctant, uh, Peter does as Jesus asked. And uh, he goes out and uh, does as Christ says and lets down his net. Notice verse 6. And when they had done this... Now, you may want to underline that phrase. When they had done this. Though Peter starts off with a little bit of an excuse giving, he reluctantly gives in to Jesus' command. But this line here tells me when they were obedient. Ever experienced that, church? Ever maybe be a little reluctant to follow Christ and what He's commanding you to do, what He's leading you to do, where He's giving you direction to go and what to do? and we maybe give some excuse as to why or why not, but then we reluctantly give in, and when we do give in, and we actually obey the voice of God, something happens. Notice what happened here. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Now, and I would give anything to be out there on seeing that. Can you imagine? Imagine you're Peter. I mean, you've been fishing all night. I don't know about you, there is nothing worse than going fishing all night and not even getting a nibble. Now, I know they did net fishing. They don't have the poles. But even more so, casting nets and catching nothing. I mean, that's That's torture. That's about as bad as sitting in a deer stand for hours and not seeing anything but a squirrel. Well, at least seeing a squirrel sometimes is exciting. Sometimes you don't even get that. And yet, here's Peter. Does it for a living. Makes no sense to him. Can I just say right here, folks, sometimes God asks us to do something and it just doesn't make sense, does it? That doesn't matter if it makes sense to you or not. The question is, is God giving you instruction? Is God giving you direction? Is God leading you to do this? Has God's word said? And if His word has said, then that's enough for you and me to be obedient. So, verse 6, when they had done this, when they obeyed, the result was something pretty amazing. Notice what happens. They caught a great number of fish. Their net was beginning to break. So verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Guys, get over here. Hurry. So they're on their way out there to help. 
they get there, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. (laughs) I mean, again, imagine what this scene must have been like. I'm sure there was pure overwhelming joy and and excitement and and pandemonium and and their boats are just flopping with fish galore. The nets are, are breaking. They're trying to get them in as quickly as they can. And all of a sudden, I mean, this is the catch of all catches. They have fished. They are professional fishermen. And yet in all of their life have they never heard or seen of such a thing happening. And because of that, verse 8 is a great insight into what happened next. When Simon Peter saw it. By the way, if you notice, Simon is the name the writer uses throughout scriptures oftentimes when he's being the old man. When Simon is thinking in a fleshly way instead of being a man of faith. Remember, by this point, he's already been given a new name, Cephas. He's been given a new name. Peter is his new name. And it's now at this point that we see a combination of both Simon and Peter. Prior to, it's always been Simon, Simon, Simon. Now we get to the text and Luke writes it this way, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He doesn't see him now as just commander, does he? He sees him now as Lord. He sees him for who he is. Not only is this the truth made flesh, here we see this is an all-knowing I mean, only the Creator God could know where fish are, especially this many fish. He's the omniscient. He's the omnipotent, all-powerful. You know, I'm reminded of Isaiah when he, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne. Oh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. You know what happens, folks, when we really see God for who He is? We see self for who we are. And Peter sees himself as a sinful man. In our study this morning in Sunday school, we were talking about original sin. And it goes contrary to what the world teaches you. The world teaches you, you're, you're good. You're a good person. I mean, now, you know, you, we, 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 if somebody would ask you, you know, do you consider yourself a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. And we, can't, we compare ourselves and measure ourselves amongst each other, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul says that's foolish when you do that. There's none good. Because of the fall of man, original sin, we all do not have a spark of the divine. We have a dead spirit. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are at enmity with God. In our natural state, there is none that seeketh after him. Okay? There's none. That's what the Word of God says. There's none that seeks after him. There is 
no good in us as natural men. That, that hurts a lot of you. That hurts a lot of Christians because we have bought into the philosophy of the world that you're a good person. But that's not what the Word of God teaches us. The Word of God says my heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? It tells me I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. It tells me that I'm friends with the world. I'm enmity with God. We're in a mess. But how cool is this? That in spite of us being an enemy, in spite of us being wicked and evil at heart, God still loves us. I mean, that's, that's incomprehensible. I mean, you can understand loving somebody you like. But can you imagine loving someone that you absolutely hate, that's your enemy? Or I should say this, that hates you. And yet, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God demonstrated His love to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you know, a, a, a man may lay down his life for a friend... That's honorable. But lay down your life for enemies? That's glorious. And yet, that's God. He sent His Son Christ in the world to seek and to save that which was lost. We were lost because of the fall, because of original sin... We are dead. And only the life-giving message of Jesus Christ can bring life to us. The quickening of the Holy Spirit can make you and me alive. And so as we receive Christ, to as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. You see... Religion is man's attempt to reach God. We cannot reach God. We cannot be good enough. Our good deeds are like filthy rags. There's a theme through Scripture, guys, that we can't miss. You and me are helpless apart from the love of God. You and me have no chance because we're dead without the life-giving Spirit of God. You and I are hopeless without the hope of the message of the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that a great message? Isn't that a good message? Doesn't that create within you this idea of Wow! God does love me. And Christian, when we respond to that message, then we can be transformed. We can be changed. We go from death to life. We go from sinner to saint. Not because of our not because of anything we do. God doesn't love you any more or any less because of your actions. 
Let me say that again. God doesn't love you any more or any less because of what you do or what you don't do. For crying out loud, He loved you while you were still in your sin to die on a cross for you. We talked about this in our Sunday school class that even, look, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Apart from the indwelling Spirit of God, I can do nothing. Paul said, if you see any good in me, it's not me, it's Christ in me. But once we receive the Spirit of God, once we we turn from our sin and cry out to the only name given amongst men to be saved, when we look to Christ as our Lord and Savior and He gives us the redemption that He offers to whosoever will, let Him come. When we receive by faith the forgiveness, the pardon of our sin, He breathes life into us. He makes us a new creation. Old things pass away. We go from death into life. And now we stand... Not in our righteousness, but in His righteousness. So that when God looks at you, He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees His Son and His perfection because He has atoned for our wrongdoing. That is a wonderful and powerful message, guys. And it should give us hope. That doesn't give you the license to live how you want to live and do what you want to do because if you, if you fully understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and you receive the love of God, I can assure you, you want to live for God, not out of duty, but out of devotion. You will want to live for God out of obedience. Not because you think it's going to earn you favor, but you'll want to live for God because you understand the grace, you understand the love that He's given to you. You know what He's done on your behalf. God does ask for us as his followers. He does ask for obedience. He's created us unto good works. So, what happens here in this case? Well, Peter recognizes he's a sinful man. He recognizes Christ as Lord. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, (laughs) you think, and... So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Here's those other two disciples that will become followers of Christ. They worked with Peter, probably for Peter. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners. They were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Do you see what what impact coming face to face with the Lord did in the life of Peter, James, and John? Can you imagine? And these guys, this was their livelihood. Yeah, before, they had probably followed Jesus. He was around in the area. So they'd go hear him teach. They were just with him in the synagogue, went over to you know, mother-in-law's house, had a nice meal the day before. But look, Peter still had the comfort of doing the Jesus thing and doing his job. Almost wonder if there's a bit of compartmentalization, which happens quite often in a lot of your Christian lives, does it not? We sometimes compartmentalize Christianity. 
We do our church thing on Sunday, but Jesus is left out during the week. Now, I'm not saying that's what Peter's done here, but i got to know that I'm seeing a constant call in Peter's life, and here you find Peter forsaking all and following him. This is a new level in Peter's life. And isn't that how it works with us a lot of times? Has there not been times in our life where, yeah, I make an initial decision to give my life to Christ, but then there comes a point in time in my life where Jesus puts his finger on something in my life and I say, yes, Lord, forgive me. I'm a a sinful man. Yes, Lord, I will be obedient. Yes, Lord, at your word, I will do this. Isn't there points in our life? And if not, there should be. There should be a constant evaluation of our relationship with the Holy Lord. Jesus is truth. He's all-knowing. Peter sees God for who he truly is. The result, Peter sees himself for who he is, a sinner. But he's, he humbles himself, and, and, and Christ's response is to tell him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. I know what time it is, and I'm going to wrap this up, but I want to tell you a story. When I read this, I can't help but think of this. My wife knows where I'm going, and she's already embarrassed. Piedmont Baptist College, we were dating at the time. And I'll never forget, they were have this missionary family. They, there was this place they were staying while they were in town. A, a family in a church had this beautiful area of land. They, they allowed missionaries to come and stay. There was a lake, a, a, a pond there, and, and they did a hayride and, and let the kids come. They did a cookout, bonfire, invited all the students out there to do this. So they'd give you a hayride, they'd do a cookout, and the, the lake was there. You could do some fishing. So I was all excited. I was going to do some fishing. And it was, it was night. The bonfire was going. There was a lot of, them, a lot of the students sitting out on the, on the pier over there on the little dock, you know, just, just hanging out, fellowshipping. And so I go over, and I start casting out there, and I'm fishing, and I'm casting out, and I'm fishing. And there was a lot of cattail. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Don't worry about it. There's stuff in the water that, that you know, grows up. And if you're not careful, you get hooked on it. Well, I was casting, and I got hooked on it. And I'm, you know, just hold your pole straight down, pull this way. Yeah, it's not working out. So I'm pulling this way. I'm trying to get this thing loose. All of a sudden, I just, I'm going to give this thing a jerk because I can feel it coming a little bit. That line, zoop, right by my head. I mean, whoa, that was close. Ah! <laughs> telling you, I was so afraid to look over my shoulder. I look over my shoulder, and who do I see but this young freshman girl named Jamie. And let me just describe Jamie for you. Jamie didn't just tease her hair. She made fun of her hair, okay? I mean, this thing was huge. I mean, they could have used her for an 80s model as far as, you know, who has the bigger hair. This lady probably has a couple of brushes hiding in there where she lost them while combing it. I look, and this little fishing lure that has, you know the kind that has like all these hooks hanging from the bottom of it? Is completely lodged in her hair. So I'm like, oh, Jamie, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's like, ah, it's okay, it's okay. And uh, Jamie was a little socially awkward. You just had to know Jamie. She just, anyway, I'm over there and I'm just like, okay, because the hair is, I didn't tell you this part, but probably doesn't get washed, but maybe once a year. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to be honest. And, and so I'm like, well, hold still, hold still. I'm going to try and get it. So I'm sitting here trying to get this out of her hair without... I'm, I'm going to have to cut this girl's hair. 
And it's in there. I mean, I'm going to have to probably, you know, she's going to have a bald spot here. And I'm like, Jamie, I'm sorry. I'm probably going to have to pull some hair. She said, ah, it's okay. It's okay. You can just pull it out. She said, it's okay. And all of a sudden, I look over, and y'all can give him grief on this. Dr. Mel Winstead is over at the pier. And by this point, he was coming over, and he saw what happened. And so instead of lending a hand like a good friend should, Mel takes it upon himself to run back over to the pier and say, hey, y'all look at Jeremy. Look, everybody look, look. Look what he's doing to Jamie over there. So I hear this going down the pier, and I look, and all, by this point, everybody's, you know, all the multitude is coming to crowd in on me near the water to see what's going on. Everybody is laughing, and finally, I, I had to pull this thing out, and I took a chunk of this poor girl's hair out. Well, needless to say, that story still haunts me today. But the funny thing was, after that point, every time I would see Jamie in the hallway, she just, I mean, her eyes, she would just light up and she would go, Hey, fisherman. <laughs> you know, hey, Jamie, how are you? You know, and so all of my friends, of course, would not let me live that down. You know, oh, look, it's the fisherman. <laughs> well, I can assure you that's not what Jesus was talking to Peter about when he said, I will now make you fisher of men. You will catch men. Guys, this is a very important story here in Luke 5. And I close with, with these thoughts. When they brought those boats to land, they forsook all. And they followed Him. Here's my conclusion. Jesus' truth, His words are the words of God. Don't miss that. He is truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you're banking on any other way of getting to heaven, you're mistaken. There's only one way. And it's through the cross. It's through Jesus Christ. He knows all. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know your problems. I don't know your scars. I don't know your battles. I don't know your hurt. I don't know where you are. But He knows all. And He cares. He demonstrated that love for you. Never doubt God's love for you. He's all powerful. He's all powerful. He's able. We're sinners. Don't miss that. That's something we learn in this text. We are all sinners. But He is Lord. He is Lord. Church, perhaps it's time we stop fishing so close to the bank. Perhaps we need to cast our net out into the deep. Maybe we need to take a step of faith under Jesus' direction, and do something in our walk that we're not accustomed to. What is God putting His finger on in your life? Where is He trying to give you direction? And yet you make excuses, I make excuses. Maybe we just need to say, nevertheless, Lord, at Your word I will. And let's show faith and let's demonstrate 
by casting out into the deep. What is Jesus saying to you? What is it that doesn't make sense to you? That doesn't make sense to me. Why would I? doesn't matter. What is he calling you to do? For some, it's truly time to forsake all and follow him. If you get nothing else from this message, get those last two words. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. In spite of who we are. Lord, there's none too dirty, too wicked, too evil, too impure that you cannot cleanse. Because it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us. And his sacrifice is sufficient. There's nothing else that needs to be done. Christ did it for us. I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't be good enough. It doesn't matter how good others may think I am or how good I think others may be or how bad I may think of myself. It's irrelevant. Because we're all guilty before a holy God. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is our Savior. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that's never confessed their sin, they've never turned to a holy God and said, God, I never really understood. I didn't know you loved me like this. But I want to know that love and I want to know that forgiveness. I want to have a relationship. I realize that my sin has separated me from you. and I'm, Lord, I want to confess that sin today and I want to ask your forgiveness. I want to receive the grace that you've given in your son, Jesus Christ. I want to follow Him. I see Him for who He is. And I see He's the answer to my problem. Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord, there's no doubt someone is turning to You even now. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love, Father, and sending your son. Thank you for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And because he lives, we too will live. Eternal life promised. Lord, if there's someone here today that's called on Christ for the first time to to receive that grace and that forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you make it known to them that these things you've written to them who believe, those who believe on the name of the Son of God, that they may know that they have eternal life. Lord, give them that assurance they need. Give them that security. you called on Christ today to be your Lord, your Savior, I want to pray for you. 
Nobody looking around. Preacher, today I, I called upon Christ to save my soul. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Slip it up. Nobody looking around. Just slip it up and pull it down. Don't worry about any distractions, anything going on around you. Christ spoke to me today, and today I'm surrendering. I want to forsake all and follow him. That's my prayer. If that was you, would you raise your hand? Slip it up and pull it down. Father, you know the heart of every follower here. Lord, I pray you challenge all of us. Maybe we're like Peter. You've called us. We've received. We've responded. We believe. Lord, we're still kind of doing our thing. Help us to see self, but more importantly, Lord, first help us to see you. And may we be obedient to your call and your direction in our life. Father, thank you for the rain today. And Lord, we just pray for this week ahead. Help us this week to be fishers of men. Help us to go and invite and encourage others to come. Lord, help us to not be slack in doing that because that is at the heart of Christ, coming to seek and to save the lost. Lord, may we this week seek after those lost men, those lost women, those boys and girls that need to know Jesus Christ. This may be the last opportunity, Lord, that we have. We don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. But Lord, give us this chance and may we be found obedient. And we give you the praise. We ask this in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.